We're going to continue our series this morning, the second one on that alter ego series that we, we started. And today's title is going to be My Need for Control. This was probably, for me, going to end up being one of my favorites, but it was probably the hardest to work through. I found out really quickly that I'm kind of a control freak as I studied some of this stuff. So don't feel bad if you get to that point this morning. My list is really long of things I try to control. So I want to take a second, recap last week. Remember, we spelt alter, A-L-T-A-R. And again, alter in the Old Testament was someplace that sacrifice or gifts were given to God to be consumed by God. And again, going back, thinking what our ego is, our ego is how we perceive ourselves or what we think about ourselves. So through this series, what we're doing is we t- we're taking these traits that we have and society says we're supposed to have, and we're going to lay them on the altar of God to be sacrificed to God to pick up who he says we are. Okay, because the world and our egos and everything else in life tries to convince us we're something we're not. And so we're going to set that stuff down and say, okay, God, I want to step in and become who you say I am. I no longer want to listen to the lies of myself telling me I'm not good enough, myself telling me I can't do it, myself telling me I need to be in control of this, myself telling me all this stuff. We're going to lay it all at the altar of God. Let it be consumed by God and pick up who he says we are. Okay, again, next week seems to be one of the favorites for most people. And it's, we live in a society that's looking to be offended, looking for any reason to hold a grudge or blame someone else for their choices and attitude. So next week we're going to talk about laying down our right to be offended. And the fourth week is probably the biggest issue most people have. We're going to discuss laying down our need for approval. One of the best ways to disrupt our communication and our connection with God is as we're walking out and stepping into what he's telling us to do, we all of a sudden worry about what other people are thinking. Okay, so that's why if you think about a lot of people you know, a lot of people will do that. They'll say one thing, they'll be gung-ho, they'll go to a conference, they'll do something, they'll be all on fire for God, and then they'll come back and their friends will call them weird or something. Let's say, Tip for you, you're already weird, so get over it. And I already know I am, so. And so then they back off what God called them to do because they're worried about what other people are thinking. Okay? So that'll be the fourth week. And then from there, after that service, we're going to have a post-service celebration. Go out to the parking lot with a burning pit, take everything we've written down over this four weeks, put it in a burning pit, burn it in the fire, being totally consumed, giving it to God as a sacrifice, saying, God, this is, I no longer own any of this stuff. I no longer, this is not who I am. I'm offering it to you as a sacrifice this morning to pick up who you say I am. Okay, again, going back to the Old Testament, if you understood sacrifices, they were totally consumed. There wasn't anything left of them. Okay, so that's what we're going to do with this stuff. Um, so for today, let's get started on a topic. How many of you this morning can admit some area in life you have to have control? Go ahead. You can put your hands up. It's okay. Now, just before you decide if you're sitting next to your spouse to grab their hand and hold up their hand, <laughs> take good notes because this is probably for you. If you think you need to tell other people you are in control, you might have an issue with control. And this is, like I said, this was very difficult week for me preparing this message because I saw so many things that I don't need to take control of that I try to. 
It's amazing that just about everyone you know or that I know in some area of their life they need complete control over. They don't feel like they can relinquish control in that area of their life or the earth will somehow implode and life as they know it will end. For some people it's finances. They want to have control over their finances. They want to know exactly where every penny is spent. For some people it's their house. You know, heaven forbid somebody come over their house if it's not completely spotless. Some it's how do we look to other people? We're worried about how we look to other people. So we have to control what our kids do when they're out in public. You know, how dare they actually, like, scream or laugh really loud in a restaurant because they're embarrassing you. Don't hear me wrong this morning. There's a difference between godly counsel and control when I'm talking about kids this morning. So this isn't a license for you kids to say, ha, 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 he said you can't control me so I can do whatever I want. It's not what I said. Parents still need to direct their kids. They still need to give them advice, but we can't control what they do. Okay. Some people, they have to have control at work. What happens at work, how other coworkers work with them at work. And they're strict as everything at work, but then they get home and they're laid back and could care less. So basically, if we take a step back and look, there's two broad categories we try to control in our lives. It's either we try to control people or we try to control our circumstances. Okay, we try to control people, whether it be our kids, people we work with, or friends. We see something in them that we think is just not right. So we feel at that point we need to play God, step in, tell them what they're doing wrong so they can act the way we think they should, even though they're probably really not doing anything that wrong. It's just not how we would do it. And if they would just listen, fix this area, their lives would be all happy. And we do whatever we can to help them understand that. Whether it's we're trying to manipulate their behaviors, whether we really, and in most cases, we really truly believe we're trying to help them the best we can. But in some cases, the problem is, is we can't. But we try to control that situation. And it causes a lot of issues. So without even knowing it, we try to manipulate them. And we need to remember again that difference between manipulating and trying to control people and giving godly counsel. We can step back and give the best advice we can, but ultimately the choice isn't ours to make. We need to understand that. We also try to control circumstances. So as I was talking about the houses earlier, you know, if your house is just right, outside looks great, the floors are swept and everything else, but if they went in your closet, it'd probably be a destroyed mess. But they can't see that. You want that first glance, boy, does your house look nice. I am under the adage that if you're coming to see me, I live here, my house is going to have a little bit of a mess. You want to see my house, make an appointment. Then I'll clean it for you to come. But guess what? I have kids, I live there. It was something actually I had to get over. It was something... I, had to, I tried to control saying I wanted things put away and I want this and I want that. And, as, and I still do some of it today and it dro- drove me absolutely nuts as I was doing this. I want everything to be just in its place or it drives me absolutely insane. At other times, it doesn't bother me. But when I get to those points to where I'm trying to control what's happening and it doesn't really matter, I'm stepping in and doing what Ken Blanchard says, ego is edging God out, E-G-O. We let our ego control what we think should happen. 
And so our ego steps in, takes over, and said, and I lost it when I, when I was listening to a sermon on this because he talked about folding towels. I am a freak when it comes to that. I'm sorry. There should be, it's got to be a military thing. They have to be folded a certain way and put in a closet a certain way. And if they're not, it drives me absolutely nuts. And I go grab a towel and they're not like that. I'm like, oh, and I can't stand it. Okay, maybe it's just me. I'm weird like that. <coughs> but like I said, that's just some of the things that for me as I was going through this, I'm like, oh, dude, you have some serious control issues here. You need to relax and let go of some stuff. And, and so our ego gets out of control. And we become God to those people we're trying to help and trying to tell them what to do. Oh, excuse me. And so I actually wrote this down. There's a control freak version of the Bible that we took this verse in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 out of. And we're going to read it today. It says, trust in the Lord. Yeah, it's probably not going to be in your version. You can look it up because we'll go after the real version in a minute. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge God, and you, you will make your path straight. So is that what it really says? But that's the control freak version, because we will. In some ways, we will trust God. With some of our heart, we will trust him. We decide where our life's going to go, so we make our path straight. We step in, we take control, and we edge God out from where we're headed. Now, the real translation says we should trust in God with how much of our heart? With all of our heart. And we should never lean on our own understanding because I hate to break this to you. We don't know that much. Compared to God, we're not the brightest people in the world. Actually, in the world we are because God not in this world, but hey. In all your ways, what should you do? Acknowledge him. Understand that he has your best interest in heart. He can make your path straight. He can take you to that place you're trying to go if you wholly trust him. And so our need for control and our ego steps back in. And we look at, we look at something and say, okay, I can do this. And so we go ahead and do it. Um, say it's a job. You haven't gotten the job you want to right away. So what do you do? You take the first thing that comes along, even though you can feel in your spirit it's just not right. But you'll take it because you need a job. And, okay, God, I got this one. You're okay. I got this. And we get miserable. Things don't get any better. We might have a little bit of money now, but who we are has been compromised because we didn't wholly trust God. The need for control erodes our sense of well-being and adversely affects our relationships. This fear-based pattern stems from our need for stability, security, and predictability in our lives, especially when we are faced with such survival issues as earning a living, being in a relationship, or taking care of our physical needs. Unfortunately, the need for control creates an illusion of security, displacing a trust in ourselves, and puts it on external conditions, or who we are with, or what we're doing, or where we live, or what we own. As a, we, as a result, we feel we are victims of circumstances lacking the power to manifest the lives we want. I took that from a psychology website because it, it really explains what happens when we try to control things. We erode who we are. Because ultimately, we don't ha we don't, it's, not our, it's not ours to control. 
ultimately, we really don't control much in our lives. We can try to, but I'm going to go through a few things here in a minute that are going to that are going to be questions that I want you to ask in every situation you're going through. And this is where, for me, I took these questions and I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, I guess that isn't that big a deal. Okay, I guess I can't do anything about that, so why am I doing it? And the interesting part of something is the more we try to control something, the more we fear losing it. And the more we fear losing it, we try to control it even more. And so we get in this endless cycle of fear of living in fear of losing control and losing who we are. I heard this wise woman once say in a testimony, let go, let God. And yeah, it was Christy. That's why she was so wise. Um, If we can let go of certain things and let God deal with certain things, all of a sudden our life gets a lot easier. We no longer have to worry about the things that really don't matter because we trust wholly in God to deal with them. We trust God to be who he says he's going to be. And so as, as I'm walking through this, you know, again, depending on who's here, you may have that thought in your head, whoo, I hope he's listening to this or she's listening to this because she really needs this message. She really, he or she is really a control freak. They really need to hear this. Here's a revelation that came to me. It's hard to see control in a mirror. It's hard to see control in yourself because, again, your ego is screaming, you're doing the right thing. And if they would just listen, everything would be better. Well, the stories we're going to look at today in the Bible are from Abraham, are about Abraham and Sarah when they tried to control circumstances and step out and not trusting God. Okay. And how when we try to take control of things, they can get really bad really quickly and affect generations. When we, make, when we take control of issues. If you think about this, the first time they tried to take control of circumstances when they were going to Egypt. Do y'all remember that story? Have you ever heard the story? Abraham, Sarah, it's before they changed their name, and I'm not going to butcher her name, Sarah A. or something like that. Um, They're cruising into Egypt. Sarah's beautiful, apparently. She's a beautiful woman. So they're going to Egypt, and Abraham's freaked out because she might get get taken. He might get beat because the Egyptians see she's beautiful. And so what does he do? He steps up and says, no, no, she's my sister. He didn't trust her to God. He trusted himself to protect her. By saying, nope, she's my sister. So what happened? Pharaoh took, him into, took her into his house. All of a sudden, Pharaoh started getting a really bad time. He, things started happening to him. Egypt was getting cursed. He, his household was getting cursed, everything else. He figures it out and goes, dude, why did you curse my household like this? That's my version, sorry. Because God placed a curse on Pharaoh's house because... He was doing something that God had foreordained already for Abraham and Sarah. They made the choice to take control of a circumstance instead of trusting God with it. The other one, the huge one you take control of, and you've heard about this in churches, if you've ever been in churches, in Genesis 16, 1 through 4. Remember, just before this, God had promised Abraham and Sarah children. 
okay? It wasn't happening. They weren't getting children yet. And they were freaking out, wondering why. God promised us this, and we still don't have children, and it's not happening in my time, so darn it, I'm going to do it myself. What happens? Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been li- living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. It seemed to them, honestly, I think it seemed like a good idea. Again, God had promised he was going to give them children. They stepped in, took control. Abraham agreed. Well, out of that, out of Hagar, she gave birth to Ishmael, okay, who is Palestine, basically. Okay. A little while later, God blesses Sarah and Abraham. They have a son named Isaac. Because remember, Abraham had been praying for years to have a son. So they got a son, Isaac, and Isaac happens to be the direct heritage of the Jews. How do the Palestinians and Jews get along? Fighting for centuries. Okay, you see how a control issue of taking control away from God can affect generations to come? Let's take it a step further. Ishmael is also a direct descendant of Muhammad, which would be Muslim religion or Islam. Isaac, we look to Isaac as Abraham's son for Christianity. How's that going for us? Same issues. All because two people stepped out and took control of something that wasn't theirs to control. It wasn't in their timing. It wasn't what they wanted, when they wanted, and their ego screamed inside that we can take care of it. The way, you know, and at this point, you know, probably none of you guys have, your wives have maid servants, and they're not named Hagar or anything like that, so we don't have to worry about you doing any of that. But how many teenagers today do you think are single men or women in their 20s, even 30s, who are Christian, are willing to compromise who they will marry because God hasn't given them who they thought they should. We'll take it into our own hands and say, I can make it work. And so at that point, we go step out, do what we want to do. Or the other big one today would be and this can step on some toes, so don't get upset with me and mad at me. We all agree the tithe belongs to God. Well, we can compromise that out and say, well, I'll give more when I get out of debt. Or maybe when I don't have my bills, I'll tithe. Or maybe when I make more money, I'll tithe. Or maybe, 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 it, it's excuses. Okay, get over it. The tithe, bottom line, belongs to God. Quit trying to control your finances, because can God bless you? Go back to the story Jesus was saying when he said, you know, the birds in the air, the flowers in the field, do they strive? Do they work? Do they get all the stuff for the stuff they need? No, God provides for them. So how much more do you think you mean to God? 
So before you take control of something, step back and say, okay, guess what? God can take control of this. When it comes to finances, me and Christy are night and day, to be honest. I am all about God. God will show up. He'll make a way. Yeah, but we only got this much money. And psh, I don't know how he's going to do it. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just trusting God to take care of it. Now, if God wants to make me look like a fool, that's his choice. But I'm still going to trust him whether he does or not. Because guess what? I know his promises says he's going to take care of me. How about school, jobs, where you're going to live, or even you might find something you want to buy, you don't have the money for it, you're unwilling to save for it, take a little time to let God bless you with it if he really wants you to have it. So you go out and you take out a loan and you buy something that you shouldn't have. All these are situations we take control of when God's saying, I can help you with it if you just give it to me. He's saying, I can take care of this for you. So here's the application question. We're going to take a moment right now. I want all of you to take a moment and be honest with yourself. This is where, Kevin, I'm going to have you pass out these cards this morning again because we are going to offer them up to God again on the altar. And we're going to take a moment and write down on these cards, confessing it to God, something we, ha- we think we need to have control of. I also, after this, what I want you to do, find somebody you trust, whether it's your spouse, hopefully it's your spouse, um, hopefully a good friend, or if you've got a group of Christian friends, you're sitting around and talk, sit around with them and talk about it. Because guess what? Godly counsel is huge. Getting together with Christians and people you trust to help counsel you through issues is going to make a huge difference on where you end up. And so ask yourself that question, what are you trying to control? Is it your, co- is it your coworkers, your children, your spouse, your image, what people think about you? Or you can do this too. You can sit back and say, I'm not doing this stupid exercise. This is stupid. I'm not going to do this. This is stupid. Forget it. I'm not doing it. Thank you for proving my point. Thank you for proving my point that you got to have control. Ooh, that was a tough one, huh? So just take a minute, and and as I go through the rest of this, we're going to have you apply some questions to this thing you think you need to have control over. Did everybody get a pen? So when you have identified what it is you're trying to control, I want to, I'm going to give you three questions to apply to it. And I, can believe, I believe it can help you lay down what you're trying to control and trust God. First question I want you to ask is it worth my concern? Is it worth my concern? Luke 10, 41 and 42 says, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. We can think a lot of things 
about our control issues, but do they really matter? Is it worth your concern? Does it matter if your kids go to school with messy hair? Is he going to go to jail because of that? It's normally boys that'll do that, so. Does it matter if they match? No. But I know some people who will freak out about that. I had Michael when he was little. I can remember him coming home on the bus. Y'all remember the crocodile hunter? He went to school with them shorts on and boots and this weird shirt, and he come walking down the driveway, and I'm just laughing. I'm like, sweet. I couldn't get upset about it because, but there are some people that will. Their kids' hair has to be done just right before they go out in public because they're so worried about what other people are thinking, so they can try to control that circumstance. So is it worth your concern? I talked about my house being clean. You know, if you're coming to my house to see me, I'm going to pick it up. I mean, I'm not leaving it a mess, but it's not going to be spotless. I have two teenage girls, a cat, a dog, and people at my house all the time. So we live there. So I'm not going to totally freak out about it. But there are some people that their house has to be spotless for anybody to show up. Is that that big a concern? Jesus just said, what are you so worried about? You're worried about all this stuff. But there's only one thing that matters. Me. This isn't a license to be lazy. There's a difference. That's the next question. Is it mine to control? Do I have the right to control it? The answer, sometimes yes. Sometimes yes, we have the right to control it to try to fix it. The answer is also sometimes is no. Remember though, surrendering control and not taking responsibility are two different things. If I screw my marriage up, that's my fault. It's mine to control. It's mine to own. It's my responsibility. Can I do something about it? I can pray over it. I can get counseling over it. I can go on a date with my wife once in a while. I can do something about it. Ultimately, God's in control of it, but I've taken responsibility for the choices I made. There's a difference. Surrendering control to God is different than not taking responsibility for it. James 4.13 basically says, 4.13 through 15, says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. James is saying, is it mine to control? If it doesn't matter in a month, is, this, is it that big a deal to get worked up about it? A year from now, are you going to remember half the things you were upset about today? God's word just says, why do you even worry about tomorrow? You're not even, you're not even given that. That's not, even a, that's not even a right. Why worry about it? Deal with today. Do what you have to do today. Take responsibility for the choices you make today. But understand that God has it in control. You don't have to worry about it. Tomorrow will take care of itself when, when we trust God to do it. So we work with God again at that point to get to tomorrow. We don't say, because I can guarantee there are things that I have done uh, six months ago that I got upset about, two days ago, that I got upset about that make no difference and no bearing on today. And I think a lot of us have been there. 
And so you ask yourself, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? And the last one, is it for God alone? When we try to control something you can't, you're anxious. But when you give it to God, you have peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here's a question for y'all, at least all you married people. Can you change your spouse? No, really, you can answer that all at once. Okay, I'll answer it. No, you cannot change your spouse no matter how much you really want to. You can't do it. Can I pray for them? Can I be there for them? Can I love them unconditionally? Can I do things for them? Can I encourage them? Can I lift them up? Can I leave them to God? Same question with our children. Can we ultimately, when our kids grow up and leave home, control them or change what they're doing? No. We can't control our future. We can't control our kids' future. We can't control someone we love, but we can pray. We can plan. We can give wise counsel, and we can help them make wise decisions. Did God, in his word, promise to control the future of those he loves? Look back. I have a plan for you. I know my plans for you. I've given you a future. He knows what he wants for you. He knows what he wants today for you. The one thing that mattered most in Abraham's life was to have a son. He had a son. God asked him to sacrifice it. Abraham totally surrendered to God and said, yes, I will give, me, give you back the son you promised me, which is what I desired most in my life because I totally trusted you. Angel shows up. God's miraculous, supernatural provision steps in, gives him a ram. So can God help your reality? Yes. When we totally surrender to God. When we totally give everything to God and trust him. Abraham then built an altar. Named that place the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. When you totally surrender to God and you totally give up to God what's going on in your life, you give him the chance to become your Jehovah Jireh and provide when only he can. I can't heal a loved one, but God can. I can't change situations that a loved one may be in, but God can. So I have to give up, surrender totally to God and what God wants from me. So as we take time this morning to continue to write down those things you you feel you need to control and and surrender to God this morning, we're going to take some time to just listen to him, to trust God. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this message for me. It brought to light a lot of things that I worry, I get anxious, and I try to control 
And Lord, I need to surrender to you so I can have your peace. You give us peace that transcends all understanding, but it's by trusting you and being anxious for nothing. And so, Lord, this morning, we're going to lay those things down on your altar by faith, trusting you to your word and what you desire to see happen in our lives, Lord, as we continue to walk through this series, as we continue to pick up who you say we are. And we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen.